This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome back into the door report, episode 235 on a beautiful September 4th Labor Day afternoon, four o'clock. As always here at the Doorport, we are presented by Corey Perkins of Parks Realty. If you are a first-time home buyer or looking to move homes, Corey Perkins is your man. You can reach out to Corey via phone call or text at 615-987-8623, or you can reach out to Corey via email at Perkins at Realtracks.com, Realtracks spelled R-E-A-L-T-R-A-C-S. Com. Again, that phone number for Corey is 615-987-8623. Shout out to Corey Perkins of Parks Realty for the continued support of the Door Report and all things black and gold here. Trevor, we have a brief but loaded recap episode here for Alabama A&M and the Doors moving to 2-0. and We'll go through the box score, go through the key plays. Uh, we're fixing and working on the format here of the recap episodes as Phoebe makes her first appearance. We're working on the format Death here. Death and taxes. Death and taxes and Phoebe jumping into the shot. But uh, we're working on the format here, so it's not as dull of a recap running through every single drive. So we're going to be calling that key plays of the game, running through the stats there in the box score. And then, as always, we'll get to me and Trevor's key takeaways of the game, our three main takeaways. So, Trevor, how are you feeling after the 2-0 and start in that Alabama A&M game? I'm the eternal optimist, so I think I'm feeling a little bit better than everybody else. But clearly still a sloppy game. Things obviously need to get worked on. Um, Still some question marks going into Wake Forest. I think overall, if I could just summarize my thoughts, is yeah, it was a sloppy game. But I think the second half is, is was a good job. They did a good job of building momentum going into that Wake Forest game, which yeah. is the most important game of the season, I think. I mean, the main complaint after the Hawaii game was that Vanderbilt did a very poor job of closing that game and stepping on the throat of their opponent in the Hawaii game after going up 35 to 14 in the fourth quarter. Vanderbilt was up 12 to three after the first half going into that second half. Vanderbilt stomped on Alabama A&M and absolutely dominated that second half outside of one play that we'll get to in the full recap. But before we get to that and much more, Don't forget to follow The Door Report on Twitter and Instagram at The Door Report, all one word, or like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Emphasis, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review 
on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. Trevor, it's time to get into it. But there was one part of that little little spiel that we always do right before the first ad break in the breaking news segment that's about leaving a five-star review mm-hmm. on iTunes. And we requested last weekend, or last podcast, that listeners to TDR go on and leave some some entertaining reviews on iTunes. And the boys delivered. All right. We, we got some good ones here. We just now. This is our first time looking at them. This is our them. first time looking at them. So we just pulled them up literally right now. So this is live. I have not read through these. So I'm just going to read through the first four. And then we'll continue to read these Can't as, as we these. go throughout the season. Leave reviews, please. Those five stars help us out a ton. And they're very, very entertaining to read once Apple actually approves them and posts them to the podcast. So the first one. You don't know what the title is in all capital letters, Trevor? Hit me. Sorry, Sadie. <laughs> the doors need me. Is it really? You, you, know, who, <laughs> you know who that's from? Who? Not Chris Lee. Oh, whoa! And <laughs> uh, the first review, this is from Not Chris Lee. This is not us. Uh, the review reads, because we promised we would read the best ones, so much more energy and passion than boring pessimist Chris Lee's sham oh, of a podcast. shots fired. The only option for real Vandy fans. We do not endorse that review at TDR. <laughs> but we are saying... God, no. like, Emptying mean, the clip hey, on him, baby. Shots fired. And then the next review from, from Bex4VU says, Get your Vandy fix here. I am a total TDR addict. Will and Trevor bring the energy, enthusiasm, and insight every episode. They are true fans in every sense of the word. I'd listen to them every day if I could. Thank you, Bex. Thank God you can't listen to us every day or you'd be in a men- mental asylum. Yeah, you, you would, would be, be in a padded inst- cell. You would be institutionalized if you could hear the voices that are rattling through my brain every single day. But thank you for the five-star review. I tell you Bex, what, Will, if these, if these walls could talk, if these walls could, could say some of the things they've heard in this apartment. <laughs> Worse than the hot mic uh, situation that we had, which wasn't bad. Next one, I think I know who this is. Longtime listener, tier one listener, Kimpin ain't easy. Dude, the title, goat. The goat. Hey, go birds, though, Justin. Uh, Title, the world is yours. This pod has always been great. Ever since they've gone to the recent lineup with Will and Trevor hosting, it's become the NWO and taking over the world. Let's go. Shout out to my wrestling boys out there. Will is Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And Trevor is Macho Man. NWO for life. TDR for life, baby. NWO for life, baby. Thank you, Kip and Easy. Thank you, Justin. Shout out. Tier one listener. Day one listener. Dog. Maybe tier tier one of tier one. Justin, tier one of tier one. Oh yeah, he's tier yeah. one. He, he is he is the tier yeah, one. Yeah, he is the tier one. Absolute dog. Day one, a one. Uh, next up, this uh, we've got a couple. We got a couple more. I'll read two more here, and then we'll save uh, anything else we have for the next week. But this just says, uh, and the title's pretty good from Kustich. I don't know what I don't know how to pronounce that. Kustich. Uh, thank me. you for the five stars. Says Vandy by Fitty. Great title. Uh, he says, great pod. Guys actually know what they're talking about. Be prepared for cat interruptions once in a while. <laughs> Phoebe, you, you got anything to say for yourself again? No, She's just smelling nothing, the mic. Nothing Not a, say. Not, not nothing a coherent thought behind those eyes. Uh, he then goes on to say, 
interruptions once in a while. LOL. Anchor down. Thank you, Kustich. Thank, Thank you for the five doors. stars. And the last one, I think I know who this is. We'll save them the despair and being made fun of for this name that they have the lot to lizards. Oh, I know who that is. <laughs> this, I don't do, want to read this. Do you, one. Oh, is, is the review not good? It's Hold good. On. It's five stars. Uh, it says TDR, a super produced podcast by a man who looks like he lives in a fraternity house still at 27. And Ow. his friend who got granted a make-a-wish talk talk show about Vandy sports to people. <laughs> Only listen if prepared for Trevor to know how to use levels in a mic or use an inside voice. After Saturday, I'm just hoping he's wearing pants under that table. Jeez. So thank, what a review. So thank you for the five stars. I'm also 26, not yeah, 27. Yeah. So, hey, we'll dox you. Hey. I'm a youngin still, all right? I'm still in the true mid-20s, not mid to late yet. We got a few more months, so I'm not taking that Do you think he ready. knows what that username means? I don't I don't know if he knows what a lot lizard is. But, I, don't, I don't think he but knows. But whoever left that review, look up what a lot lizard is, uh, since you decided to hate on the boys just then. <laughs> but <laughs> look up lot lizard. That's how this podcast begins. But Trevor... We do have a game to recap. Vanderbilt beats the Alabama A&M Bulldogs, their FCS opponent this season, 47-13, to moving the Commodores to 2-0 and on the season, first place in the SEC East, as things should be. The Everything is right with the world. Just as the good Lord intended. The good and bad is balanced. The doors are on top as God intended. But Vanderbilt pulled away in the second half against an outmanned and outgunned Alabama A&M football team. Trevor, I want to run through the box score first, but I do want to hear some initial kind of gut reaction to the game that we saw on Saturday. Gut reaction is the first quarter was absolutely abysmal. Uh, not the first quarter, I'm sorry. It was the first quarter, but the first half um, was absolutely abysmal. There was nothing to be excited about. It was a disaster and at halftime. I was in an awful place. Second half started out okay on offense. Not great on defense. Really, really bad. Um, Sorry, I'm about to burp into the mic. Hold on, boys. Got those Diet Cokes flowing. Yeah, the Diet Coke is absolutely kicking me in the balls right now. <laughs> um, I, I thought second half, I th they obviously looked much better. They It sort of looked like they realized that they were the better team and just decided to pour it on them. Um, so that's encouraging. I think more than anything, even though it was a sloppy game, my takeaway is that second half um, is a really good way to build momentum going into Wake Forest. Because if it was a sloppy game all the way through, then that Wake Forest game is looking more miserable than it might already be. Without the crisp second half outside of one defensive play, just defensive laps that happened, and and when we get to the detailed key plays of the game, you'll you'll know exactly what we're talking about. That second half brought me back. I had to go sit up alone in the top of Section A after that first half because – that was not the performance that me and you either expected nope. in the first half. Not crisp. They def Vanderbilt definitely looked like they were not fully mentally in the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it happens. Locker room dynamics. We're not oblivious to these are college football players. These are not professional football players. This is college age students. And it's it's harder to get dialed in. As someone that even played high school sports, it's harder to get dialed in for an opponent like Alabama A&M than to get dialed in to Wake Forest. Because at the end of the day, right or wrong, coaches would never say it. 
the Vanderbilt players know that if they turn it on, theoretically, they could pull away. But the final score for the Doors, 47-13. to 13. Trevor, remind the people what our predictions were for the game. Mine was uh, 17-16. That was 17-6, I think. Or was maybe I, I don't I'm gonna be honest, bro. I do not remember. What was your prediction before my the, real the prediction? I think was something close. Yeah, to it was. Actually, I think it was like 43 10. Yeah, it was actually like pretty that. close. And I think mine was 55 to six. Not too bad. No, not you're, too you're bad. Decent. Yeah, off. decently close. Uh, and we also need to investigate Alabama A&M. Yes, we, we need to touch on this and then we'll get into the box score and the key plays of the game. But the line on this game was minus 35, minus 36, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Offshore was like minus 30. Yeah, yeah somewhere in there. Vanderbilt was up 47 to 10 late in this game. And Alabama A&M decided to kick a field goal to cover the spread. Investigate Alabama A&M. I'm not blaming them. I mean, if they put some money on themselves plus 36, all power to you, brother. I mean, double that money that Vanderbilt's paying you, whatever it is. But why else would you kick the field goal there at the end of the game other than to cover that spread? That made no sense. We were we were watching the game, and we were sitting next to Joseph West, who had Vanderbilt minus 35 and a half. And shout out to, shout out to Big Joe. I thought he was going to jump off the top of First Bank Stadium. He, <laughs> he was in a really bad spot. Well, it's so I wouldn't be saying this if theoretically Vanderbilt was up like 36 to nothing and Alabama A&M decided to kick cover the spread, but to put points on the board for the first time. Or even if if Vanderbilt was sitting there like 43 to seven, I could see wanting to get into double digits. It was already 47 to 10. It doesn't even like feel better or look better or do anything. Uh, It, It just made no sense besides to cover the spread. So I just had to bring that up early. But Trevor. I'm going to run through the box score here for Vanderbilt, and then I'm going to ask you what stands out in your mind. But Vanderbilt's passing game, A.J. Swan, disappointing performance, 15 of 29 for 194, two touchdowns, one pick, and a 28.4 QBR. Yeah, Not the strongest showing from A.J., but then number eight, the boy. Our beautiful boy. In seals with a perfect... QBR, a 100.0 QBR. That's our boy. Ken Seals, two for two for 52 yards and a tutty. Dog. Dog. Hey, me and the boys in Section F started a Ken Seals chant whenever he went in, and it was uh, it was pretty electric. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't get more gritty than a Ken Seals chant. Dude. I would just go, Ken, and they go, Seals, <laughs> Ken Seals. I loved, awesome. I loved seeing – so I'm going to actually break it up and ask your opinion on performances in between each position group because okay. I think that will break it up a little bit more. Seeing Ken Seals get in the game and actually seeing them give him the opportunity to throw the football and not just hand it off, damn, that felt good. It did. It felt good to see a guy that is stuck with this program, stuck through seeing himself lose his starting job and continued to be a leader and a mentor on this team despite personal issues that he does have going on off the field. I mean, it's hard, regardless of if you're a Vanderbilt fan, regardless of if you're an SEC fan, regardless of if you're a fan of any team, to not root for a guy like Ken Seals. I mean, that was awesome to see. A perfect QBR. Love to see him get that opportunity. But you know what? I do want to keep the positive vibes first. How was that? I know you led the chant, but seeing I'll I'll say this, too. I'm not going to name his name, but there's somebody who said that us on the pod, we glaze Ken Seals too much. 
you know who you are and you're a bozo. Stop listening to the pod. I don't want you as a listener. This is a Ken Seals only pod. This is the Ken Seals fan club. We love Ken Seals. If you hate Ken Seals, you hate Vanderbilt. You're a bozo. Stop listening. If you hate Ken Seals, you hate guys with grit. Yeah, yeah. Just go ahead and just say you don't have grit. In the modern era of transfer and just rent and sign one-year contracts and not build anything, not growth, go through any growing pains and just go to an easier place where there's easier playing time and easier wins and easier money. Like, Ken Seals is a fucking dog, all right? He does not get enough credit. No. It's the other way. Exactly. Other media outlets for Vanderbilt should be covering him more. Yep. That he stayed to be a solid backup and mentor a – more talented quarterback and stayed to help build something yep. instead of the modern era of being a lazy bum and renting and just hopping from program to program. So I'm going to talk about Ken Seals more now. Yeah, we're, you know about what? we're about to talk about Ken Seals for 30 minutes. I'm about to talk about how well he backed up the quarterback, even if he doesn't step on the field just because if of that. If you comment. have anything bad to say about Ken Seals, you're a bozo and you need to get on some grit Yeah, Come to lot two. And, and talk to me about how Ken Seals is uh, talked about too much on TDR, and we'll have a discussion. Yeah. But, Trevor, there was another quarterback that threw 29 passes and only completed 15 and had a 28.4 QBR. How do you feel about A.J. Swan's performance, and does it give you concern moving forward on the season? To answer your first question, yeah, it was really bad, particularly the first half. He was, I mean, he was straight up awful. His, probably his worst half of football in his career. Does it scare me? No. I mean, he's a... People forget that that's like what his seventh game starting like you got it. I mean, yeah, it was ugly. Yes. The interception in the end zone is unacceptable, but good Lord, cut the kids some slack, man. You know what I mean? He's a true sophomore. I, I think it's lost because he does look so in charge and he looks like he belongs in an SEC backfield as the quarterback that he's a true sophomore and he was hurt a majority of last season and did not start a majority of the games last season. He has a lot of room to grow yep. in decision-making, but all the tools are there. Same thing you just said, Trevor. Was it, a, was it a bad performance? Yes. Did he miss some throws? Yes. Did he make some bad decisions? Yes. Does that concern me for the rest of the season and the rest of his career? No. I mean, everything that I saw in that Alabama A&M game, he made some poor decisions. This is the game you want to make mistakes to get them on film That's a great point. to not make them again. They're go. I guarantee that coaching staff is going to point out the mistakes he made in the red zone specifically, and this is the game to learn from them. It's a great point. And a 47-13 victory over an FCS opponent, so it doesn't give me concern, but I did see some talk on specifically the 24-7 message boards about real concern with his oh, performance. Oh, I want to talk about this. Man, that bothered me a little bit. And, dude, here's the thing. And me and Will talked about this before we even hit record on the pod. Yes, does he force some throws? Is, some, is his decision-making lacking sometimes? Yes, but he's a true sophomore that has started seven games. I don't know how you can watch AJ uh, or uh, – AJ Swan. I almost Not called him AJ. I almost, no, I almost called him AJ Seals. Oh, there I'm sorry. Go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to talk about Ken Seals more <laughs> bozos. Um, I don't know how you can look at some of the throws and some of the plays he makes and not get excited about him. The upside that this kid has is legitimately something we have not seen in a quarterback since. I, I'm not, I, you know what? I'm, this isn't me Color. saying this. There are people who are very, 
uh, deep into Vandy athletics who have said, we have not seen somebody like this since Jade Cutler. That is not me saying that. Okay. That is people who get paid to write about Vandy. The, the only other – so I found an old article, and then we'll get the running back stats here because there's some more stuff I do want to talk about. And we don't want to get too in detail and take away from our three keys. But I found an old, an old article that I had written when A.J. Swan committed. And my comparison to A.J. Swan was Jordan Rogers with was Jordan Rogers because I didn't think I could say Jay Cutler were my two comparisons. And yeah. I think a hybrid of Jordan Rogers and, and Jay Cutler is A.J. Swan's style. And that's a that's a compliment. Jordan Rogers is probably and this is not taking away from Kyle Shermer in any way, probably Jordan Rodgers and Jay Cutler were the two most dynamic throwing quarterbacks that Vanderbilt has had since the turn of the century. Throwing quarterbacks. Chris Nixon was dynamic with his legs, but he was not a great thrower. What Taylor was a good thrower. I said since the turn of the oh, century. Oh, since the turn of, yeah, turn of the century. I, I, sorry, that's I thought it was like, I that's I why it was like I added the 1900s that. No. still. Okay. No, that's why I added that in. Not the turn of the millennia. That's what I, that's what I was either thinking. way, either that's way, turn of the millennia, turn of the century. Of the it's same. It would, be, in, yeah. it would be the same. But Jordan Rogers had the ability to get outside the pocket and scramble and throw accurate passes. And Jay Cutler was clearly better than Jordan Rogers. I'm not saying that. And so it's hard to compare a guy that has only had seven starts that's a true sophomore to the best quarterback in modern Vanderbilt football history and Jay Cutler. But this is the closest thing that we have seen. And that's not taking away from Kyle Shermer, but Kyle Shermer was a statue inside yep. the pocket. AJ Swan has the ability to get outside the pocket and make unscripted plays. Or and even that's just the way he moves in the pocket. And that that's something that Vanderbilt needs. Vanderbilt doesn't need necessarily a mobile running quarterback. They need a quarterback that can make unscripted plays and unscripted downfield big plays. And that's what AJ Swan brings to the brings to the field and brings to this team. So some decision-making in the red zone against Alabama A&M, yeah. Is it a problem? Yeah. Is the coaching staff aware of it? Yeah. So it, for the rest of the season, it doesn't really affect me. We will know a lot more after this weight game. But getting into the rushing stats, the leading rusher for the game, Cedric Alexander. Mm -hmm. 12 carries, 87 yards, two touchdowns with a long of 27. Excuse me. Second leading rusher, Patrick Smith, 10 carries for 50 yards. Gillespie, five carries for 25. AJ, three carries for 24 yards and a tutty on the QB sneak. Junior Sherrill, one carry for 20 yards. Jaden McGowan, one carry for six. And Walt Taylor, one carry for five yards. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to pause here because I want to get into the keys of the game about the backfield. Mm -hmm. But Cedric Alexander was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, he's part of my key, so we yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna wait. We, can, on that. we will be discussing Seti. Yeah, that was. We will discuss that. I didn't think Patrick Smith and Chase Gillespie looked bad by any stretch. I just thought Cedric Alexander stuck out, and I thought the offensive line did a pretty solid job as the game went on of creating running lanes and opportunities for the running 215 backs. yards of rushing. Yeah, overall as a team, 34 carries for 215 and three touchdowns with a 6.3 yard per carry average. If that carry on and continue from this running rushing attack for the rest of the season after Alabama A&M, we would all be very, very happy. I'll tell you that. But moving on to the wide receivers in the receiving game, Jade McGowan, once again, the leading receiver. This stat, uh, this box score actually looks very similar to the Hawaii game uh, when you look at just the receivers. But Jaden McGowan, six catches for 70 yards. Uh, Will Shepard, six catches for 62 yards and two touchdowns, just like the Hawaii game. 
uh, four touchdowns in the year already for Will Shepard, seven away from tying uh, Jordan. Is it Jordan Matthews' uh, all-time touchdown record at 24? Yes. Okay, we don't have a production crew. Phoebe, get on that. Yep, Phoebe. But uh, Trevor has confirmed that I was right. Will Shepard, seven touchdowns away from tying Jordan Matthews' all-time touchdown receptions record. Junior Sherrill, one catch for 35 yards. Justin Ball with a really solid play out of that tight end position. One catch for 27 yards. London Humphreys once again contributing. One catch for 23 yards. Cam Johnson, uh, one catch for 17 yards and a touchdown from the young buck, the freshman tight end, Cam Johnson, who we expect to be a key contributor throughout his Vanderbilt football career from Ken Seals was that touchdown catch for 17 yards. Then Logan Kyle, once again, popping into this box score, one catch for 12 yards. How did you view the performance from these wide receivers and tight ends? I mean, it's hard to complain, really. I mean, it's hard. It's. I mean, yeah, there was one bomb to Shep that should have been caught for a touchdown. I, we're not going to dwell on that because he made it up by hauling yeah, in two more. So, I mean, it is what it is. I, they're everything we thought they would be so far. Tight end, tight ends receiving wise are actually are kind of impressive. Logan, I think Logan Kyle has really impressed me. Yeah, Logan Kyle converted wide receiver. I th- I think he can continue to be utilized in unique ways. His blocking has got to be improved to consistently stay on the field and not just be utilized as a pass-catching tight end. But, I mean, down the road, I think Logan Kyle could be a key contributor. Will Shepard's a cheat code. He's, he's hey, a deity. It doesn't matter. This is not about Alabama A&M corners or Hawaii corners. This is for the rest of the season is I I don't know how if you will see Will Shepard with one-on-one coverage inside of the 30-yard line anymore. He, he's just unguardable one-on-one. The, the, his ability to create separation and high point the football is elite. And A.J. Swan with the ability to communicate and put the ball where Will Shepard is the only guy that can make a play on it. This is a dynamic combo that it doesn't matter if you're playing Alabama A&M or Hawaii or Tennessee or Florida or Georgia. Will Shepard's a problem for a defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what I've taken out of these first two games. I'm not getting to my takeaways yet, but as my key takeaway from Hawaii was, these playmakers on the outside are everything that we thought they were. They are as advertised. Gamarion Carter didn't even have a catch. Quincy Skinner Jr. didn't even have a catch this game, limited in snaps with that uh, ha- lingering hamstring issue. But you didn't even see two out of the four main receivers make a catch and you still thought the receiving core put up pretty good numbers, so that says something in and of itself. Shep should have 10 receptions a game. Like, I don't, like, people are like, oh, he, uh, AJ doesn't come off well. It. Who cares? He's that good. You should force feed him. He should have 20 receptions a game. He's that good. Why? If you're AJ, like, I get it. You do want to spread the ball around. Like, you don't want to stare down targets. But if you have somebody like Will... Dude, throw him the ball 20, 30 times a game. Do whatever you need to do to get the ball in his hands. And I don't get I don't get people complaining about that. I, that doesn't make sense to me. No, and there's another side that he's going to start seeing more double teams, and that's going to open up the rest of the field for playmakers like Marion Carter, Jaden McGowan, Quincy Skinner Jr., London Humphreys. I mean, the field is going to open up wide for AJ once teams adapt to understanding that we do not have a single player that can guard this guy. So even if his targets do decrease and his numbers do decrease, that's just because the opponent 
is going to be so heavily focused on him and expect other Vanderbilt playmakers and receivers to put up huge numbers if they decide to do that. Because I think Vanderbilt actually has the depth behind Will Shepard where that's also not a good option for opponents of Vanderbilt. Jaden, yeah. London, that's what Junior. Is they don't is, is what Will Shepard's doing. Is they don't have a choice anymore. They have to bracket Will Shepard. They have to double team Will Shepard. So now it's going to open up the field until they realize, oh shit, Vanderbilt has three or four other dudes that are also going to roast our second cornerback one-on-one. What do we do? And that's where this offense gives me hope for the future of this season is that Vanderbilt has the ability to outscore teams. Before I get into the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to read out a few more guys than I did last game and give some credit to that defensive side of the ball. Langston Patterson was the leading tackler on the team with seven total tackles uh, and three solo tackles. C.J. Taylor was the second leading tackler, six total tackles, two solos. Kane Patterson tied with C.J. with six total tackles. Uh, with four tackles each, Jalen Mahoney, Miles Capers, Alex Brown, and Ethan Barr. And then we'll get into guys that have tackles for loss uh, and sacks. Langston Patterson had one tackle for loss. Kane Patterson, one TFL. Uh, Alex Brown, one TFL. Bryce Cowan, half a TFL. Nate Clifton had one sack. Uh, Jeffrey Hugo had one sack as well late in the game. Good play by him. Clifton also had an interception. Yes, he did. Oh, that was an incredible play. We'll his, get to, his first, this, I, these are the things you got to point out. His first interception of his entire career. Like Pee Wee High School, really? He said it on the post game with Andrew Allegretti. It's his first career interception awesome. in his entire life. And I would say, who would we should start doing our our MVP or TDR MVP offensive and defensive? I, I've yeah. already probably got All right, it for we'll, you. We'll do that at the end. We're going to start adding that into this after our three main takeaways. We're going to start doing our MVPs of the game on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. I think that'll be a an entertaining and controversial thing to add on to the end and maybe clip out. But, Trevor, I think it's time to get to the key plays of the game. I agree. Before we get to the key plays, I'll just make this brief little comment. They have to stop putting Will Shepard at pun return. <laughs> I get it. He's good. But, like, Jesus, dude, it just scares me. It, 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 it scares me so much. I hate it. I don't, I don't love it because of the injury risk and he's so clearly your best playmaker on offense however you know who else returned punts earl bennett dj moore i'm not saying i i'm saying i agree with you i hate seeing him back there receiving punts but he's really damn good at he's it. very good that i yes. can i can see why if you watched practice day in day out as a coaching staff why you would keep Will Shepard as the punt returner. And he's done an incredible job when he's been back there. He had a good return against AM again. I mean, it's... Did he have one or two? He had a couple. Good. I think he had yeah. two, yeah. And we're getting into my keys again. But, uh, yeah, it's it's so painful to watch him return punts, but damn. Dude, you just... You, your whole body... I'm also, I'm also so comfortable that he's not going to muff the punt. Well, do you think if we didn't have an, uh, a Jonathan Krause situation back in 2011 versus Arkansas, we would think this way? No, I think we're because we're I think I think about that play every time I see him go. I just I I think about that one play, and it scares me so much. Yeah, that's that's really what I think rattles through all Vanderbilt fans' heads immediately. That one particular play is what like I think about it. I'm like, dear God, please just keep it. <laughs> like, do not let anyone. One touch of the him. dirtiest hits in in all of college football, and consistently used for some reason. That on dude should have been put in, in jail. That was 
horrific. Just, you know, I'm a big fan of big hits, but when a dude fair catches and then you decapitate him. Well, and he, the ball dirty. wasn't even, the ball was still yeah, in the air. Yeah, just horrendous. But, Trevor, before we get into this quick recap of the key plays of the game and our three main takeaways and our TDR MVPs, it's time for the TDR cocktail break. Go ahead and grab yourself a cold one, and we will be right back. Welcome back from your cocktail break. Hope you have a delicious cold beverage next to you, non-alcoholic or alcoholic. Trevor has just brought up a delicious beverage that we will be having at the next TDR tailgating lot too. Trevor, tell the people what the opening beverage of the day will be for the Kentucky tailgate. So we need to preface in that a lot too. We do get there like eight, nine o'clock. Um, Will and the boys are already setting up. Shout out to the boys, Miller, Shoal, all those guys, Tyler Shanks. There's just a, literally a bunch of the most gritty men ever. And we normally start off the day with mimosas. If you want to question our manhood because of that, I don't care. But I just brought to Will's attention something called a manmosa, which is instead of um, orange juice, it's champagne and blue moon. You cut up some 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 fresh oranges, throw those in the in the bottle. And you have a manmosa, champagne and blue moon with some oranges. So manmosas will be made available from eight to nine, eight to ten a.m. Oh, at the TDR tailgate in lot two. We will be drinking them probably a little bit too quickly and have a nice midday hangover again, just like the Alabama A&M game. But manmosas, I do not. <laughs> man, I'm the degenerate here. I was. I, <laughs> we all know. I, I had a. I was just like. I was just killing water, and I'm like. Will you good? He's like, I'm just ready for football, man. I'm just ready to rock, brother. I'm just ready for 11 a.m. Oh, as your watch goes off, I'm Sorry. just waiting for 11 a.m. kick. That's all I'm waiting on. That's when the day truly begins. Trevor, let's get into the key plays of the game. We're not going to do a full drive-by-drive breakdown anymore, uh, but we are going to point out key plays. We went through some of them when we ran through the box score stat breakdown, but I do want to hit on the beginning of this game. Opening drive of the game for Alabama A&M, 20 plays, 71 yards, almost nine minutes off the clock. Disgusting. Vanderbilt did stiffen up inside the 10 and force Alabama A&M into kicking a field goal, but it was pretty disgusting to watch Alabama A&M impose their will a little bit on this Vanderbilt defense early in the game. Uh How were you feeling after drive one? I was feeling disgusted. So my dad... Um, my dad has a Twitter. He listens to the pod. He's pretty active on Twitter. It's funny. He, he's he's just, just an old. I love my dad. He's an old man with a Twitter. See, my dad's different because my dad will go on Twitter rants, and I'm like, that's pretty good. Like, no, no, I love. No, honestly, <laughs> I love it when like my dad tweets, especially about the Reds, because he'll tweet something, and I'll be like, Dad, I absolutely agree. Lucas Sims, Lucas Sims does suck right now, and he might cost us a wild card spot, but. So he he knows my whole and then again, a lot of people think that like me in real life and me on my Twitter are two separate people. Sometimes that's true, but to be honest, the line does get a little blurry sometimes. So how I'm always on Twitter, I'm like, I'm always talking about the vibes. All the vibes are good. Can we get a vibe check right now? My dad leans over to me and he goes, Son, before anybody else asks you, what are the vibes right now? <laughs> and I just I just look at my dad and I go. Dad, please stop. <laughs> and he just laughs. I'm like, Dad, I'm not joking. Please, just not now, Dad. <laughs> Our fathers are the most dangerous men on Twitter because they're middle-aged men on Twitter that actually make good, valid 
indisputable points, and that is yeah. the that is the kryptonite to those large blue check mark accounts. Our follow our our people on Twitter <laughs> like our fathers that are like two hundred followers that are making better points than the sports journalists. Yes. So keep it up, old Steve. Absolutely legendary Twitter account. I changed my. He was the Steve Byram before I was the Will Byram. If you're listening to this, follow our fathers on Twitter. Oh, Tommy absolutely. Hewlin, Steve Byram. Follow yep. them. At the Steve Byram. I think my Twitter. dad's at Tommy Hewlin. There we go. Just very, very creative and legendary Twitter handles. Did there. you know, you know what my dad's first name is? Just Tommy. Just Tommy. You know what his middle name is? No. He doesn't have a middle name. It's just, it's just Tommy. He doesn't need one. No, people are like, oh, is your name Thomas? He's like, no, it's just, it's just Tommy. That's gritty. That's like, like, oh, what's your middle name? He's like, I don't have one. (laughs) Okay, but there's something about that. Okay, Tommy and just being named the name your parents were going to call you. So that's a funny story. So my full name is William. But from the beginning, my parents knew that I was going to go by Will. And that was the most nightmarish situation for the entire time that I was in school. Because so everybody's like, is William Byron? Is William here? Byron? I go by Will. Every single place that I'm at. So they learned their lesson and actually just named my brother Drew. So that's and not yeah. Andrew, which they were going. My to brothers go by their middle names. Their first names are Michael and Matthew, but they go by Tanner and Chase. Okay, so this is a random tangent. Stop naming your kids something with their first name different than what you're going to call them the rest of their life that is a curse that you do not need to put upon them you can just change your name now legally no, i don't want to do it you just don't want to go yeah, through the paperwork nah, that yeah. seems like a lot of work this is the tdr difference by the way last <laughs> week we were on a, on a on a rant about movies and tv and now we're going on a rant about uh, government names government names baby all right then uh next possession vanderbilt drives down the field gets a field goal ties ties the game three to three then forces a three and out for alabama and m blocked punt Great play by freshman Brian Longwell. Doors go up five to three. First quarter ends five to three. Was that a score Agami too? Did we ever confirm that? There's got to have been a game. There has there been have a five, five to three. That's, yeah, that's, people are like score Agami, and I'm like, I feel no, like there's been enough defensive are, battles that that's been a score. Yeah, before. there's definitely been a five to three game before. But that got Vanderbilt a lot of not positive attention across the Twitterverse, the X verse. Uh, with that score of saying, oh, I thought they were playing baseball. Oh, it's a baseball school. Yeah. Hey, like, Brett McMurphy, you don't listen to this pod, but screw you, bozo. Dude, it's this is this is the perfect example of what pisses me off about a lot of the sports media in the SEC and in college football is they will tweet out a score of Vanderbilt saying, and in SEC play, Vanderbilt leaves, leads Alabama A&M 5-3. Ha, ha, ha. They won't add the ha ha ha, but it's given that they just tweet that out. And then you say, dude, shut up. What was the final score? And the response will be, I didn't even say anything about Vanderbilt. I just said what. And I'm like, yeah, but every single time you reference Vanderbilt is in a negative slant making fun of them. And you don't tweet out the final score that Vanderbilt ended up beating the shit out of Alabama A&M 47-13. Don't pander. Don't cheer for us if you don't like Vanderbilt. We're, Vanderbilt's in our villain era. We don't. We don't want you. We to don't cheer want. For us. We want you to, to cheer hate yeah. us. Yeah. Heel J Will, great, great account on Twitter, is on board with Jesus what is Christ. What our is neighbors are they, Is it freaking the Royal Rumble upstairs? Good lord! Something. Talk about Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage, dude. Freaking the Great Khali's about to come through the ceiling right now. Good but lord! This is the part that Vanderbilt fans are finally fighting back against. That is just the constant condescension of even the coverage given to Vanderbilt is given in a condescending way. Like, shut the fuck. Like, we don't need that. Like, leave us alone and just watch us build and grow and win and become what we are going to be. 
And that's where Vanderbilt fans are at right I love now. that we truly are in our villain era. Yeah, we're in the villain era I right now. It. Vanderbilt then, after a couple more possessions, turnover uh, on downs in that first quarter, second quarter. When the second quarter, Vanderbilt goes down, scores a touchdown 12-3. to three. We're not getting into details, but at halftime, the doors lead Alabama A&M 12-3. to three. How were you feeling at halftime, Trevor, after the first half performance that we saw? I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. I went to um, I went to concessions to get a water, and I saw uh, the big homie Riley who works for Vanderbilt. Shout out Riley, go Reds! Um, and I just looked at him in passing. And I go, bro, offense needs to get it going. Which of course he doesn't call play. He doesn't do anything. But I was like, dude, they they need to do something. I, what the hell are we doing on offense right now? Um, it was it was just a bad first. There's no other way to put it. It was a really really bad first half. It was a really bad first half. And there's something to be said. I'm not making excuses for a bad first half. That we are sitting there disgusted at the performance that we are seeing out of Vanderbilt, and they're leading by two scores. There's something to be said for that. Even though it is 12 to three, Vanderbilt responded to your request. Comes out with a great drive. Uh, first drive of the second half, Vanderbilt goes down six plays, 75 yards, goes up 19 to three. And Alabama AM immediately in two plays hits a 62 yard touchdown pass with Jalen Mahoney trailing behind the receiver. I don't know if it was a blown coverage or what it was, but that is the perfect symptom of the issues this secondary is having. This Alabama AM team's passing attack is horrific. And just giving up one deep pass play is enough cause for concern for me. Alabama A&M tightens the score to 19-10, to 10, and from then on, Vanderbilt dominated the game. Mm-hmm. But 19-10, to 10, what did you see if you saw anything on that first Alabama A&M drive of the second half? I just remember a ball being thrown in the air, and I just remember seeing 23 Jalen Mahoney like two steps behind, and I was just like, I, I just looked at my dad and I go, oh, my God, it's happening again. Well, the drive started for Alabama A&M with a Donovan Eagle and 11-yard run. And they were showing a replay. He was kind of good. I, yeah, he was he was very good. Alabama A&M's running back, Donovan Eagle, was as advertised, very good. Uh, ran for 11. They were still showing a replay, and you could not see the far side of the field. I watched the broadcast over and over trying to see what happened. I couldn't see what happened on the broadcast. But somehow an Alabama A&M receiver was running unimpeded wide open through Vanderbilt secondary and a good pass by their quarterback, 19 to 10. Then Vanderbilt stepped on A&M's throat. Punt from Vanderbilt, punt from A&M. Vanderbilt then goes down the field, eight plays, 57 yards, three minutes, 54 seconds, goes up uh, 28 to 10. Vanderbilt then scores another touchdown, 33 to 10. Vanderbilt scores another touchdown, 40 to 10. Vanderbilt scores another another touchdown, forty-seven to ten, and mixed in there was the Cedric Alexander show at running back, and he was outstanding, leading rusher on the team, and also what we referenced in the box score was the touchdown pass from Ken Seals to Cam Johnson on a beautifully designed play, first touchdown of many for Cam Johnson. I first think he, career reception. I think he's going. It was similar to London Humphreys, two freshmen with their first career reception being a touchdown catch. I think the future is bright, and that room is very talented at tight end and wide receiver in the future with Junior Sherrill, London Humphreys, and Camarion Johnson. Dude, can you just imagine Cam whenever he puts on 15 or 20 more pounds? Dude, he was fast. Like, I understand that it was a screenplay. Great job by the offensive line to get blockers in front, but he's got... he. The he, only, he unhitched the trailer. The the only thing keeping Cam Johnson off the field is size. 
That that's and he's going to put on weight. But I think he's an underrated blocker. Like when we've seen him block, like he's held his own. Yeah, they, which is interesting. I think we're in agreement that he's going to be a stud. I think I mean, he should get I more think, playing time. I think Pimpton made a huge mistake going to LSU instead of Vanderbilt, committing to LSU instead of Vanderbilt, because that duo of Cameron Johnson or Cameron Johnson and Pimpton could have been dynamic. It would have been a nightmare the least, for tight end with AJ Swan throwing the ball and the playmakers Vanderbilt currently has on the outside. Huge mistake, huge mistake from him uh, committing to a dying Brian Kelly LSU program. But Cedric didn't even make the depth chart. Cedric Alexander, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Cedric Alexander era, was outstanding. He he was better than advertised. I was about to say as advertised. He was better than we even expected. We wanted to see Seti Alexander on the field. We saw him, and he made highlight plays as we expected. I think the play of him jumping over the Alabama a m safety <sighs> went viral. We made a remix of it to the Drake future Jumpman song. Jumpman, Jumpman, Jumpman. Them boys up to something. And that is for sure that the boys are up to something right now. But Trevor... That's pretty much the recap. Doors win 47 to 13. The second half was very dominant after a disappointing first half. I think it but it might be time to get into keys of the game. I do, takeaways of the game. I do agree with you though. Alabama AM needs to be investigated by the gaming commission for that field goal. That field goal. There's no there's other no other explanation. There's no other explanation besides Alabama AM and their co- head coach, Connell. I can't remember his last name, needs to be investigated. But Trevor. Keys to the game, key takeaways from this Alabama A&M game. What's your number one key takeaway? So the reason I didn't really uh, speak on SETI so much during the first portion is because he is my key number one. Um, Cedric Alexander, along with the freshmen, um, these freshmen are good. There's <laughs> these This group of freshmen are really, really, really good. Um, Cedric Alexander should be running back number one. He should start. He has the burst. He has the vision. He has the speed. Um, and another thing too, like I know that the I know that the hurdle, rightfully so, is what went viral because that's a fantastic play. But his first touchdown to where he dove under the tackle to sneak into the end zone. I mean, dude, what incredible awareness from a freshman running back. He's good, and so I think. I think he should be the starting running back. I think his style of play fits this offense. Um, I, I think he should be RB number one. Um, but overall, man, the freshmen are good. Junior's good. London's good. I thought it was interesting when they put Junior in London back at uh, punt return. Um, mm-hmm. And they both had big returns, which was uh, wonderful to see. I know, I know it was in garbage time, but to still see them do that was awesome. Same with Martel Height. Martel Height. Um, he man, he's good in coverage. He's really, really good tackling. Not there yet, but also he's small. He's a freshman. Like, yeah, does missing tackle is it frustrating? Yeah, absolutely, it's frustrating. But that's going to come with more game experience. That's going to come as he puts on size. I'm okay with that right now. I say I'm okay with that until he misses a tackle for a touchdown. Then I'm going to be pissed. But right now, go ahead and bookmark this even keel mindset right now. I'm okay with that because he's really, really good in coverage and just a great athlete. Had a great punt return from him. So just the the freshmen are good. Demarion Thomas had a big play up the middle. He looked like a game wrecker. Um, I would love to see more of him. Um, But yeah, man. And just the young guys in general. I feel like Savion Riley has been really good at safety. Mm -hmm. Dericky Wright, shout out to my boy (laughs) D-Rock, my absolute favorite player on this whole entire Vanderbilt team. I love Dericky Wright so much. 
uh, whenever he got hurt, I legitimately felt nauseous. And as I saw him just lurking in the Vandy tunnel waiting to come back, oh, I, I was just I was I was an atomic bomb watching Dariki come back. But I thought Marlon Sewell did really, really good in replacement for Dariki. Bryce Cowan had a good game. Of course, we know what we got with Langston. He's great. And shout out to Trudell. It's Trudell season finally arrived. He had Maybe. a great, great um defensive play to where whenever they were throwing it to the opposite to the wide side of the field and he stayed with his man pushed his man out of bounds so even if the catch did come down as phoebe is biting me on camera why are you doing that even if the man comes back in bounds he's already out of bounds so it's an illegal catch it's illegal touching so he's a stud i the the young guys are really really good very excited about the grayson morgan shout out to grayson morgan playing at right tackle for junior junior zebu as be a lady phoebe I thought he held his own, maybe a little undersized still. Then again, it was against Alabama A&M, so maybe they are a little bit undersized as well. He had two procedural penalties, but I thought overall, I thought he had a great game. So the young the young guys are, are very exciting, and those are my key number one. Already making contributions to the team. So last week, my keys started out with number one being positive, and the rest of my takeaways were negative. This week's going to be the opposite. My number one key takeaway is going to be negatively slanted. My two and three key takeaways are going to be more positive, but things that I think legitimately will carry over to the rest of the season. So I think that's a key little asterisk I like to put on it. Not just things for the future, but things that we're going to recognize this year. So my number one key is key takeaway is question marks still remain. The same question marks still remain. If you just never showed me and I never watched the first two games of this season, during this preseason preview, when I named off the issues and questions that I had about this team, they are the exact same after the first two games of this season. Can the secondary be decent enough to allow the pass rush to even have an opportunity to make an impact and even be a broken dam for opponents passing attacks. So far, the secondary has shown me nothing. Absolutely nothing. I, I think the secondary is horrendous. Uh, the same question marks remain. Can Vanderbilt get true pressure? We expect them to get true pressure. We haven't seen this defensive line at full health. We haven't seen this linebacking group at full health. We haven't seen Prince Colley. We haven't seen Darren Agu. We haven't seen Davion Davis. So Christian James haven't seen Christian James. So can this defensive line create true impactful pressure? And number three, does Vanderbilt really have a good offensive line or were they assisted by having two de facto assistant offensive linemen in Ben Bresnahan and Gavin Schoenwald making up for the mistakes that this offensive line made all last year? And so far, I have nothing that tells me that this offensive line is legit. So far, okay, I'm not saying I have anything that tells me that they're going to be awful either or below our expectations, but I've seen nothing that makes my issues that I brought up before the season and makes me feel any better about them. I thought the offensive line would be good. So far, they've shown me nothing that this is going to be anything better than a normal, traditional, shitty Vanderbilt offensive line. We will know more about these question marks after the Wake Forest game. It's why I'm not saying these question marks have been confirmed, but these question marks do remain. So that's my key takeaway. Number one is 
we haven't really learned anything about this team, to be honest. This team is pretty much exactly what we expected after analyzing the roster and analyzing what we saw in fall camp, and we will learn a lot more after this upcoming Wake Forest game. So, Trevor, I don't think there's really much controversial things that I said in that. Uh, It's pretty much what we discussed before the season. Question marks are still there, but what's your key number two? Yeah, and I think that's and I think that's the beautiful dichotomy of this pod is I think naturally my disposition is to be a little bit more optimistic, um, and so I think we balance each other out in that. But I I agree. I think offensive line play has has left something to be desired. Um, secondary, not just has left something to be desired, is just it's left everything to be desired. I mean, I don't. I, I'm uh, uh, sa- safety play has been. Good. I'm I'm okay yeah. with safety play, specifically cornerback play, um, ha- has been not good. I think whenever Martell is in for Tyson Russell, he's been really good. B.J. Anderson hasn't really given me a whole lot to be upset about so far. Um, of course, everything is subject to change. I thought B.J.'s actually had two f- fairly decent games, and I I honestly I think he gets I think people hate on him too much. I I really do. I think. Was he great last year? No, he would tell you that he wasn't great. But I think that I think a lot of the times he's honestly a scapegoat for people that just don't know ball. Yeah, I think the Wake Forest game is going to answer questions. I yes, so I, I think that any any hot takes, positive or negative. So this is what was driving me crazy reading the boards after the game is everybody wants to have immediate reactions and takes. I just, in from in my heart of hearts, think I've learned absolutely nothing about this team through the first two games. I think this is exact. if you, I've, I've changed zero opinions from what I had before I'd ever seen this team take a live snap. So that's what's been weird. Vanderbilt's 2-0. and My questions and concerns still remain the same. And my positive feelings about the wide receiver group and about AJ Swan and about possibly this linebacking core being solid still remain that in that direction of maybe they can be pretty solid. I just don't know. I I just we don't have answers. We haven't seen dominant performances, but we've seen wins and we've seen them turn it on when they needed to. And the only guys that I can say have at least lived up to the hype and now I'm no longer concerned about. The receiver group is legit, and AJ Swan is legit. I I don't care what what the stats or QBR show from this A and M game. He he's he's the real deal after seven starts and and looking as confident and calm as he does. I watched a lot of college football this weekend, and I watched a lot of quarterbacks look very uncomfortable mm-hmm. in the pocket, look very uncomfortable in the scheme, and looked like they did not have a command of the offense they were controlling. A.J. Swan looks in command and in control, and I have confidence he can make an accurate throw pretty much anywhere on the field. Yeah, and I think, too, even on the defensive side of the ball, I think, like you said with receivers and Swan, I think we know what we have in C.J. We know what we have in DeRicky. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... I think Devin Lee can still sort of be a... I think you know what you have in Nate Clifton. Um DeCosmo. DeCosmo. He's um, been very solid. He's a guy that he hasn't made any incredible plays. He's been very quiet. But when we went back and watched that AM, he's, game, a, he's honestly kind of impressive. He, he's impressed me quite a bit. 
Um, but yeah, I agree with you. They leave a lot to be desired. So for my take number two, um, uh, I, I get that it's Hawaii and I get that it's Alabama A&M and maybe you don't want to put a lot of things on tape. Maybe you don't want to get experimental, but the defensive scheme makes no sense to me, dude. Like, and this is this is an issue that I had last year with lack of lack of pressure, lack of blitzes being brought. I get it. Every defensive coordinator wants to bring pressure with just three and four guys. I get it. In an ideal world, that's awesome. But we do not live in an ideal world to where you can get pressure with just three or four guys a hundred percent of the time. You have to dial up pressure. You have to dial up blitzes. And Vanderbilt is just not just does not seem like they're bringing pressure with their linebackers. It seems like they're very content with dropping seven or eight in coverage, um, which, I mean, I get that if you do have true concerns with the secondary, you want to drop more into coverage to be able to compensate for the lack that you might have in the back end. But dear God, dude, like, and this is what's so frustrating, and we talked about this before the pod even started, during um during SEC media day, somebody asked about the the defensive scheme um for Vanderbilt. And Clark Lee said, Yeah, Nick Howell is an aggressive coordinator. He wants to blitz 30 or 40 percent of the times, but Clark's not that comfortable with it. They're just not blitzing it's not they're not even blitzing 20% of the time. Like they're just they're so content with dropping into coverage. And yeah, that's fine. But you have a quarterback who's willing to just stand in the pocket all day long and let his receivers find the pockets in the zone. And and it just it doesn't make sense to me. Dial up some pressure, Nick. Like just, just let the boys run downhill. Let Ethan run downhill. Let Kane run downhill. And if somebody gets burnt. Who the hell cares? Because we're dropping seven or eight in coverage and still getting burnt. So, dude, like, let your nuts hang. Play with some. Play with your hair on fire and just send the boys to the quarterback. I don't. I don't get it. So that's my key takeaway. Number two is probably not just for this game, but just for the first two games overall. Is the defensive scheme uh, is it? It just doesn't make any sense to me. As Phoebe walks across my laptop, she's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the scheme and and everything because. I will I will still I don't have any scheme issues in my key takeaways because I am still banking and it's not that I don't have any issues with the scheme we've seen on offense or defense. I'm still banking that they are keeping things off film. And I'm not and I know you gave gave that preface, but I'm still banking that a lot of their blitz packages on defense specifically, a lot of their exotic coverages and having CJ in playmaking positions that they've been saving that for this Wake Forest game, for the most key game of the year. Same thing with the offense. I've I've held back a lot of issues I've had with any play calling or any scheme stuff and been too critical there because I understand that you want to keep things off film. It's something I think Hawaii did a horrible job of is they showed everything they had on film against Vanderbilt, and you saw that against Stanford. You saw that Stanford was prepared for every new facet and wrinkle that Hawaii had implemented because they showed everything against Vandy. And I think that's having Timmy Chang in his second year versus Clark Lee in his third year as Clark's learned from mistakes. And I think you're going to see them open up exotic blitz packages, open up this offense against Wake Forest. And if not, that will be one of my key takeaways after this Wake Forest game if you don't see more blitz packages. Yeah, and that's that's even something I said last week What was one of my keys is like, 
dear God, man, just bring some pressure. Just let them just let them go downhill, especially too when you know you're going up against. I think Alabama AM ended up playing three different quarterbacks. Uh I'm let two. Oh Xavier Langford and that Cornelius Brown guy. That we well, up. and the the Langford guy was um the guy that came in second string, right? No, he was first string. Sorry, then it's the Cornelius guy. Number he's ten, he was number ten. 10. Number, he's the one number that threw sixteen. The, he's the Langford. one that threw the bomb. Uh, Cornelius Brown was the one that threw the pick. He he. Cornelius Brown was seven for twelve Am for thirty. Yeah, you're getting yeah, him totally mixed. You're getting him mixed about. Up. You're getting him mixed up. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. Alexa just went off. If you could hear that, so that's the TDR difference, baby. Phoebe did not like Phoebe, that at all. No, Phoebe's like, this, who is who this is? This is the speaking. high production quality. So Xavier Langford was the starter, number sixteen. Cornelius Brown was number ten. The UT Martin transfer yes. that was the backup. But still, even though like you know, you're like, okay, these guys probably don't want to throw, dude. Just bring some pressure. Stack the box. Like, come on. Yeah, I, I'm in full agreement, and I will begin. And I've never been soft on coaching staffs, regardless of the sport. So once we see Wake Forest and see the game plan for Wake Forest, I will be hypercritical of the game plan due to my lack of criticality thus far throughout the season. But my key number two and key takeaway number two is something that's going to carry over throughout the rest of the season. You brought up how ill it made you when Will Shepard returned punts. Not saying I disagree. But this team has playmakers on special teams, special teams playmakers, something Vanderbilt has not had in years that was a staple of Vanderbilt is having dudes at returner positions. That is so big for a team like Vanderbilt that struggles with big plays and putting together drives. That's what they struggled with last year. Every single time Jaden McGowan catches a kick, it has the potential to go back. He almost took one back on the opening kickoff from Alabama A&M. He got tackled by the kicker, and you could see his frustration afterwards. Having a dynamic returner for Vanderbilt is two or three X as important as every other SEC team because Vanderbilt just does not traditionally have explosive playmakers. And this year, punt return, kick return, they have them. Jade McGowan is the best returner Vanderbilt has had since Darius Sims. Probably the best they have had, in my opinion, since Warren Norman at punt returner. I know it makes me sick, but since probably what DJ Moore, maybe I think Will Shepard's probably the best punt returner that they have had. I yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, he. I was trying it, to think it makes me. It makes him. it makes me ill because he is the wide receiver number one, but he's really good at it. Like that's the main problem I think the staff is facing is like, yeah, you don't want to put your best offensive playmaker catching punts, but damn, he's also probably like a top ten punt returner in the country. So it's like potential to have that, but also he's also a top 10 wide receiver in the country, in my opinion. So it's a balancing act, but Vanderbilt has playmakers on special teams and I'm talking about the return game, but punting has been good. It's been solid. And so far there's been no high pressure kicks, but Priscilla looked confident and made both his kicks or Chilla Chilla, whatever. I don't care if I'm pronouncing it right or wrong. He made his kick. <laughs> Shout out to Jacob. hundred oh, percent on the year. Yeah. So keep making your kicks, but Vanderbilt has playmakers in the return game, which is huge as Vanderbilt starts playing better talent. Well, dude, not just in the return game, but shout out to Coach Lustig 
overall, the special teams boys have been playing a blocked punt blocked this punt, game. Yep. Like with Brian Longwell, like he's got those special teams is kind of humming right I almost, now. I almost want to extend that out to all of special teams. I think now. you should. Yeah, outside of that horrible two point conversion they tried to run against Hawaii to open up the season. Special teams has been very solid. Well, did you notice during the Alabama AM game on a on the one of the extra point conversions, they came out in that formation <laughs> and then and it scared the hell out of me. They came out in that same formation and then brought everybody together and kicked the field goal. And I just remember looking at my dad and I was like, Dad, what are they doing? Like oh I God. get okay, that's one of those things, definition of we've watched a lot of football and we know how film sessions work. I understand you were trying to get that on film so that then you could potentially use it later on, but my God, that was horrible. I, I still don't understand that's, why they did that. No, that's one of the definition. One of the uh, one of those things that looks amazing during practice. That when you're running against your scout team, special teams, and they kind of know what to expect and how to react, not like naturally, that it looks really good. Mm-hmm. But in real live action, real live speed, that was. I'm glad they got that out of their system during week one again, week zero, game one against Hawaii. Uh-huh. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Key number three, Trevor. But key number three, my key number three, or uh, this isn't really a key number three. It's just a general takeaway I had is, is and we'll talk about Swan again. Is he just, he looked, oh, I, I said he looked okay. I'm, I'm saying that because he had a really good second half. Um, but that first half was probably his worst, um, his, his worst football he's had in his career at Vanderbilt so far. That first half, he was not good. Um, just couldn't find guys, made ill-advised throws, um, just looked super uncomfortable. Of course, he got it turned on in the second half, um, made some big plays. But I don't want to hate on the kid too much because, like we said, this is this was only, I believe, his seventh career start. And that, this is going to come with time. Like, I, I understand you don't want to throw interceptions in the end zone. That's, like, worst-case scenario. But, I mean, he was going to make a bad play eventually. He's he's young. He's still learning. Um, so, like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it being against Alabama A&M, like you said. Now, if it's against Wake Forest, we're going to lose a, We're going to lose games because of stuff like that. So, uh, my takeaway from number three from the game was that he just looked okay. But then again, man, whenever he looks okay, he still makes some of the craziest throws that we have ever seen. And, like... He just makes some like really oh wow like how did he do that throws that we just haven't seen from a Vanderbilt quarterback in a long time. Yeah, I don't have any long season concerns for Swan. I, I absolutely st- agree. I still think he's the guy. He didn't look great this game. I'm not sugarcoating it. I think he would also say he did not play great against Alabama A and M. They're going to tighten those things up. I think he has the talent. And I think he has the control of this offense that that's not going to be concerned for the rest of the season. But I completely agree. My key number three is your key number one. My key number three is Cedric Alexander has something. He has something special. And we were excited to see him as a freshman running back, and he got on the field and looked every bit like an RB1. It's one of my favorite adjectives to use, or is it an adverb? I think it's an adverb. Slippery. It is an adverb. He looked slippery. I know it's Alabama A&M. I know it is. I know it's an FCS opponent. I know it was in the second half. I know the game was already decided. I know all of this. But Patrick Smith and Chase Gillespie and Newberry, no offense to Newberry because he's a freshman as well, those guys have not looked slippery at all the entire season against anyone. On top of the vision, you already pointed that out. On top of the hitting the hole quickly, he also just 
slipped out of defenders' hands. I, there's no other description I can use. It's what Alvin Kamara had at Tennessee. He's just slippery. And that's just being an elite level athlete and playmaker. So I agree with you on your point number one and key takeaway number one is Cedric Alexander needs real time, real carries, and he really needs to be pushing for that RB1 job if they're actually evaluating these guys on in-game performance. Because so far, Patrick Smith and Chase Gillespie just have not gotten the job done. They haven't been awful, but they haven't been that playmaker that you need out of the backfield if you're Vanderbilt to mix up that passing game that does have playmakers. You need somebody like what freaking Cedric Alexander looked like that he can make those plays when given the opportunity and how much of the issues with the running game have been from the offensive line. You brought up this point have been offensive line or have been Patrick Smith and Chase Gillespie, just not having, having the vision to hit the hole. I think it's been a combo of both. So, so far, I think there's a lot to prove in the running game. There's something special with this Cedric Alexander kid. And I don't think that's the last time you're going to be hearing his name called and the foghorn going off inside of First Bank Stadium. I absolutely agree. I'm right there with you. I, I want to see Cedric Alexander starting against Wake Forest. I think I'm so far through two games, particularly the Alabama AM game, he's shown you that the kid's got something. You know what I mean? And he he needs to I totally agree. He needs to be getting real crucial in-game reps. Uh, and I think he should be the starting running back. Absolutely. I think it's the same thing when you saw CJ Taylor truly get reps on defense and you went that guy's different he's just different he just is it's unexplainable it's just that's the definition of what Clark Lee was talking about as guys we weren't even really talking about as key contributors before the season and by game six or seven they could be starters and being studs and key players in the outcome of a game I think that's Cedric Alexander this season for Vanderbilt well I think too London is one of those kids I think London I think London is one of those kids as well um your key number three. That was my key number three. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Now Sorry. we're on to our offensive and defensive TDR MVPs. Do we I also knew... want to do Twitter questions too? Uh, yes, we do want to go to Twitter comments here, but let's first get out our offensive defensive MVPs. We've already kind of gone over. I think they'll be pretty obvious. Uh, we did not prepare for this at all, so I'll go first. My offensive MVP is pretty obvious. It's going to be Will Shepard. I know he had the one drop. Uh, you can have somebody different. I know he had the one drop. <clears throat> that he misjudged the ball that Swan threw. It wasn't an awful ball by by A.J. Swan by any stretch. It wasn't a perfect ball by A.J. Swan. Other than that, Will Shepard was once again absolutely unguardable and had two incredible catches in the corner of the end zones. Uh, so Will Shepard's my offensive MVP. Yeah, not much needs to be said. Will Shepard's my offensive MVP as well. On to my defensive MVP, which is a little bit tougher. I'm going to go with another... Obvious guy. I don't know if you're going to go with him. CJ Taylor was everywhere. Watching that film, when he was on the field, he was the best player on the defense, flying around. He wasn't the leading tackler, but he was the most impactful player on that defense. So CJ Taylor is my defensive MVP of the game. I agree, but can I give an honorable MVP? Absolutely. I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go big man Nate Clifton there we go. with his with his intercept. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Nate Clifton. Um a leader on that defensive line, captain of the defense, got a got a crucial turnover. I don't know if crucial is is, but a, a turnover nonetheless. All turnovers are crucial, I guess. Um, but he, he looked awesome. He's he's gonna be my uh, you know what I'll just say. He's my MVP of the game of the defensive game. Okay, so Nate Clifton for Trevor, C.J. Taylor for me. But 
Uh, pretty, pretty obvious. I think there, I think those will get a little more controversial as the season goes on and a little bit better of a segment, but we will get on to the Twitter comments. We asked the question, how are you feeling after the two and O start for Vanderbilt? Uh, we got some good replies. First up, we have Justin Kemp also left a great review. I think on iTunes, he said, I'm still optimistic. I think they opened up the playbook more last game and found a gem in Alexander. The game this week is massive, and I feel like we're going to win or lose by 20. It'll depend on if our D-backs can can maintain and not give up home run plays. Damn. I mean, that's a pretty spot on. I don't I don't know. I don't know how you disagree. I'm with Justin, though. I still am a little bit optimistic because I sort of viewed these first two games as like preseason games. I know that's a terrible way to view it, but Clark Lee and the coaching staff knows that this is, of course, they're not going to say it to the media. They're going to be like, oh, it's just another game, yada, yada, yada. That's just coach speak. They know that this is a huge game for them. Like, this is a, uh, uh, how, how should I say this? This would this would be another, God, how do I, like a state, like, like this would be another staple win yep. for Clark Lee to show that there is, like this would Tangible be up there, progress. this would be up there with the Kentucky and the Florida game yep. as, oh, they're doing something. You know what I'm saying? Also, it sets up Vanderbilt for an electric home atmosphere against Kentucky because they theoretically should go on the road and beat UNLV and be 4-0 going in to conference play in the SEC with Kentucky at home with all the storylines that are also already there. Before we go on to the next one, I'll ask you cuz you're the you're the you're the betting man. What do you think about the line? Vanderbilt opened as a what 13 and a half, 12 and a half point underdog. 13 um on Action Network they were 14. It was more than I expected. I was kind of surprised. I thought Vanderbilt would be more like a nine and a half, ten and a half point underdog. It was a little bit more than I thought. I think you'll see that line drop. I think it already has dropped. I think we had this conversation last night before that had happened. I said the same thing. I don't think it'll push below 10 and a half. I think 10 is the lowest you'll see it go. But it's a little higher than I would have thought, to be honest. I think Vanderbilt's secondary concerns against that Wake Forest slow mesh, high-powered offense, even after losing Hartman and their best receiver, I think that has Vegas pushing towards Wake. And and I, I don't agree with it. I, I think it's a little too high, but I can see why Vanderbilt's almost a two-touchdown underdog. And also, some very cheap points in between 10 and 13 and a half. Those are the cheapest points in all of sports. So, But getting on to more comments, Will Weingart at Will Weingart said, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm probably not. Said, weight game will determine the rest of this year. That's what we've said this podcast. Yep. Yep. That is the official statement of TDR. 100% in agreement. Miller McKee, the lot, the lot lizard. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll go ahead and just say says, who it is. Miller McKee says, still unsure if we, if, yeah, still unsure if we play to our competition. But if we do, that's not a good look on the culture being built. Next week, we'll show what we are made of. I, I kind of agree, but I don't agree with the culture. I don't comment. agree with the culture aspect. But I do think next week we'll, we'll answer a lot of these questions. Right now is, truly a talking week. I mean, we will know a ton more uh, in six days after this Wake Forest game with the 10 a.m. Central kickoff. The season starts this Saturday. It really does. And it's it's a good sign that we can say that Vanderbilt fans are not ecstatic at a 2-0 start. It's just you looked at the schedule, you saw Hawaii, and you saw Alabama A&M, and you said 2-0. And Vanderbilt went out and went 
2-0. and And I think that in and of itself, as sad as it sounds, is progress. So uh, from the Anchorman, he says, still nervous AF because the real season starts this weekend. Exactly what you just said. That's not my burner, I promise. Not his burner. Uh, George, I don't have a burner. George Barclay said, I feel good about the athleticism of this team and their ability to stay in games. We have the size and speed and different weapons that we've lacked in years past. I also think that is a fair point. I think there is a big step up. It's very prevalent when you just watch this team, even against lesser competition, that Vanderbilt's the more athletic team. They look Vanderbilt looks more like an SEC team than they have in years. And that in and of itself is progress. So there are a lot of GIF reactions, a lot of meme reactions, a lot of people saying, eh, I don't, eh, I don't, eh, that was a majority of the responses was, I don't know. And here at TDR, I can proudly say, I also don't know. And I think we'll get into it more in, in the Wake Forest preview, digging into Wake Forest. There are issues. There are things to be concerned about. But really, until you see this team play another Power 5 opponent, it's really hard to make any determinations about the rest of this very, very long college football season. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. It's, I, think, I think there are some things that you, you do know, uh, particularly with the freshmen. I think the freshmen certainly have already made an impact. I think they can continue to make an impact. I think you know what you have in Swan. I think you know what you have in individual players like CJ, Derricky, so on and so forth. Um, another thing this weekend will be massive for Vanderbilt is getting Darren Agu back. Yep. Get Darren Agu back on that, uh, back on the edge, move Issa Wataha back inside to his, his natural position. Um, when Christian James comes back, we do not know. I've been told that it's, quote, soon-ish. That could be this week. It could be two weeks from now. Who knows? But who knows? But we do know we will be back later this week for a Wake Forest preview. It will be a beefy episode and it will be a hell of a weekend, even though it is a 10 a.m. I repeat, 10 a.m. Central Time kickoff for Vanderbilt at Wake Forest. For myself, Will Byram, and my co host, Trevor Hoolan, this has been episode. 235 of the door report powered by Corey Perkins of Parks Realty. Anchor down. Go doors.